0: Into it, we're back with the part two of the destruction of the black family. Our brother here has explained the situation. He started with part one yesterday. This is part two. Possibly there'll be a part three, but for the first part, it will be the description area below. I welcome you back, brother. All is well. Thank you. Thank you. So, yes, sir. So,
1: just to uh, recap. Um, where we left off yesterday, I was, um, taking my son through the door of our farmhouse where I saw the outside of the building was surrounded by SWAT. I know they were SWAT because I recognize the, uh, gear that they were wearing, the clothing, the Kavlar helmets, the, the bulletproof jackets, you know, the assault rifles, uh, fully black clothing with the uh, police sign written on the chest of the clothing. And as they, they, they came out of the darkness at me and my son, they were screaming the words, police, police, police. And um, as soon as I saw this, because uh, I'm familiar how this works, I froze. I wasn't about to move. I held on to my son. And I stood absolutely still, waiting for their next move. So out of the darkness, I saw um, a large... Um, officer, uh, approached me and my son, and, um, he started to talk, and, uh, he said that they were there to apprehend my son, I listened to what he was saying, and, um, he said that he had a court order to apprehend my son. I uh, I asked to see it, and uh, he showed it to me. And uh, a woman came up from the back of the officers, and uh, she took my son. So my son, he had on a very warm overcoat with a fur collar, you know, very snug. And he put his head down into the jacket because he didn't want to see what was about to happen. He was crying. He was terrorized. He's six years old. This is this is a, a child that I and my wife brought into this world. And he had always been with us, he was born in the farmhouse, and he was a very um, smart child, and he didn't fully grasp what was going on. But when I spoke to him at a later date, what he told me very, very concisely and very Forthrightly, I said to him, what did you think that night was going to happen? He said, I thought they were going to kill me. So they took him and uh, they started to disperse. So I later understood that what had happened is at the farmhouse, there's a front door and there was a side door. So they had stood in the area of the front door, which has, uh, it's like an enclosed area on uh, two sides, and they had huddled in that area, thinking that they would come in through that entrance. So they were preparing to bust down that door. And um, they didn't really uh grasp that I may come through the side door that's the way it seemed to me but anyway they uh, cuz when they 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 saw me come through the side door they came running from that front door area so i looked around and um i could see there was many of them they had surrounded the the building and um so they took my son, and uh I stayed there now at the farm um, I think it was like the following two or three days I was there by myself and uh a courier brought um an envelope, a package, so it's a large brown envelope, and it had Documents in there. When I looked through, I started to read it, and it was pages on pages of allegations um, that they had uh, fabricated against me. Things like um, I am the leader of the Nation of Islam. I'm an extremist. I did a litany of things to my wife. I was holding her captive and uh, she uh had um been been suffering Under me, I mean, my wife has never said anything like that to me, not even remotely like that. She was always uh, free to do what she wanted. And uh, as I said, when she had approached me about she wanted to go to medical school, I took her freely. I drove her wherever she wanted to go. I never tried to hinder her. What she wanted to do. Um. So I'm I'm in shock. I'm just in total shock. And um, every time I recall what happened, it it is very traumatizing because these are my children that I went as far as I could and. I tried to do the best I could. I made sure that they had what was required to make them into successful people. The proper food, I I went all over North America, literally all over North America uh, and Canada which is North America, but I went into the U.S. just looking for food. I used to take the plane to go to farms when we um, were still living in the city. Before we had our own farm, I would take the plane because I could travel with the airline and get food for them, organic food. I used to send away to Europe for things. Um just used to travel all over i took them uh, many times to usa um i i took my family to across canada took them to alberta um took them to quebec because uh we live in uh ontario i uh made it possible for my wife to travel back to see her family in um, Sudan. And she went with our children that were born at that time. So, you know, it's it's mind boggling. This is a woman that is moving freely. She would go on the plane uh, every other week to go and get food with, uh, sometimes with me, And sometimes without me, she would go and take our children that were born at that time. So it's mind-boggling the allegations that I'm reading. And um, so anyway, I went to the court because, you know, you have to now respond. I don't have time to get a lawyer. Um, But I thank the creator for bringing me through, especially that night. Because when they call in the SWAT, they're not coming there to, to play around. They call them for a specific reason. They, they're calling them because they want them to eliminate somebody. They want to, them to eliminate what they perceive as a threat. How, how is a, a family or a, a man who is quietly living in a farm producing you know uh, food, real food you know livestock cows goats sheep ducks chickens growing uh fruits organic fruits vegetables um spices these things to make sure his his family thrive how how is that a threat to anybody we live a very quiet life as i say you know we we travel around we go into the cities My wife moves around freely and uh, especially um, when I was uh, working at Air Canada because I'm gone the whole day so she can do what she wants. There's nobody to say you can't do anything or, you know, you're not allowed to do that. She's living the life she wanted to live because she's the one who asked me or suggested that we should move out into the country. So, yeah. So getting back to the court proceedings, I go to the court. I don't have time to get a lawyer. And I I show up there, and I take uh, a friend with me, somebody I know, and uh, we go there so i'm instructed because i don't have a lawyer i should speak to the duty counsel so i see lots of uh, police and one of them approaches me and uh he starts to talk to me outside of the courtroom and he he says to me that um he's not interested in he said, she said, he said. He's not interested in that. So what I understood from that is what they're bringing in the in the courtroom or in the court is uh, it's, it's nothing of substance. It's just he's making light of what they're doing, right, because they, they've investigated and they haven't found anything. So he's letting me know that. So anyway, I, uh, as I say, I'm told to report to the duty counsel if I don't have a lawyer representing me. That's the procedure in the courthouse. So I find the duty counsel, and he introduces himself to me, and he um, asks me and my friend to um, join him in a conversation in the... Uh, rooms that they have off to the site and uh, we go in the room and he starts to talk to me and I'm explaining well, you know, I was told to report to do the duty counsel because I don't have a lawyer and uh, he's going to take me through the next steps so he starts to explain to me that he was present during the the time in the court leading up to this this attack on my family at the farmhouse, and um, he started to explain to me candidly, and I really appreciate what he told me. He said that what he saw the preparations, the security the the uh the talk, what was said in the courtroom behind my back, the steps that they were taking and and the just the overall view and look of that proceedings that went on before me it was if it was as if they were bringing this man bin laden into the courthouse bin laden that's how he characterized it so me and my friend, we were sitting there listening to this and um He went on to say he'd never seen anything like that before in the court. And um, he said, so what I need to do now is I need to get a lawyer. I'm going to have to come back on another date and then um, proceed with uh, legal counsel. And um, he said... "Um, He's gonna write a letter to the the uh what is called the legal aid who who assist in providing a lawyer when you don't have a lot of money to fork over for you know expensive lawyers he's gonna write a letter to the legal aid and um he began to write the letter so I don't have the letter in front of me but i will I will provide it. At a later time, I'll look for it. I'll go through the documents. So, so he makes some points in the letter. So, he says, uh, this that's being done to uh, Mr. Dixon, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm trying to give you the essence of it, is um, a case of um, racism Islamophobia, uh, overreaction by the the police and overreaction by the court, and um, he's asking for uh, assistance for myself in the matter so he he was very forthright in in laying out what he saw. I didn't ask him for any of this. I didn't know what had gone on before i'm I'm summoned to the court and i and I answer and this is what i I find so after that um I did not go into the courtroom because I didn't have a lawyer to proceed. Um, So I left the court and uh, began to find a lawyer. So lawyers were recommended to me, and I found a lawyer um, from a person that I know, this lawyer is from Nigeria, and uh, we sat and we started to draw up our response the allegations that were made against me. Um, So a date was set. I went back to the court. I went before a judge. And they uh, being my wife's lawyer, uh, uh, a woman from Iran, and um, the judge, they uh, began to lay out this total fabrication against me. So what I was told, because my my wife said a few things, she said she had been taken to the courthouse by this teacher, and she, uh, along with uh, the teacher, had gone and met with, Judges in their private chambers and discussed what they were going to do to me. And so hence the the, the coming to the the farm and and taking my wife and children, you know, uh, the SWAT showing up a week later. So it, it had all been planned out is what I'm saying. And I sat there and I listened to their proceedings, what they had to say, the ranting and raving. The, the characterizing of me as some sort of uh, national threat. But just to recap, as I explained in the first part, I worked in the government of the country for many years, first as a, as a soldier in an elite regiment, defending the country, and secondly, uh, 25 years in a high top security job at the biggest international airport in the country. I was working there during the time of September 11th. There was never in all those years, either in the military or in the government job here Canada, Um, There was never a question about me, my character, my um, ability to do my job. I mean, they had so much um, confidence in me. I had a position where when the flights leave, I'm the person that they check with to uh, uh, dispatch the flight. They have to check with me when I'm, I'm on shift so that's that's just an example of the type of history I have uh, in my work uh, in Canada in the security of the country securing families, men, women, and children to get on the plane and and go safely to where they're going and uh, receive them when they arrive back in the country and also in their domestic travels inside of the country. I I spoke to people about this and they said I I'm looking at this and I'm saying are the people that doing this did they just come out of a madhouse? <laughs> I'm being you know I'm being humorous about it because it's just so farcical, it's just so ridiculous, it's just so, so outlandish. I've never been denied uh, my security passes for my work. It's never been questioned. Yet you're going to make up this story to to make me into something or somebody that I'm not. So I wasn't about to get up and argue in the court. But what I noticed is that they treated my, my lawyer who's a Nigerian, they treated him like he's nobody. They were pretty much just laughing at him. In other words, this is like a, it's not like it. It's a—it's an actual um, verbal lynching. You see? This is like the old boys club doing what they always do to our people when they bring them into the, their kangaroo courts, as they call it. So I sat there and I just listened to all that was said. I just took it in. And the lawyer that I had, he tried to defend me. But as I say, they they weren't even listening to him. They were pretty much laughing in his face. This is a man that is very, very um, experienced and respected. And they just demeaned him. And uh, when we spoke after, or oh, there was a break, because we started, you know, in the morning, I believe at nine, and um, we, t- we took a, a break for lunch. And in the break, he's telling me, oh, this judge, you know, this judge is like incredible because the the, the affidavit, my affidavit response, he's not even looking at it. He's not even really taking it seriously. So he, he, it was a done deal. That's what I'm trying to say. They had already worked out, what calculated what they're going to do. So when we went back, at one point, he asked my lawyer, or he asked me through my lawyer, um, what would I like to say? Because my lawyer got so upset at the way he was being treated, he stormed out of the courtroom. They had no respect for him. And um, they continued as he was out, and I, I listened. And uh, the judge, he, one of the things he said to me, he brought out a point in my response in my affidavit. So in the affidavit, I had said, because my lawyer had asked me to characterize my relationship with each of my children, write a paragraph on the relationship with me and my children, because these are children that I raised. I brought their mother here. I took care of her. She never worked outside of her home. She, she was a, a housewife. She Her work was to look after her family, look after her, her children, and whatever that entailed in her home. And that's what she enjoyed. And she told me all the time, how other women envied her. They had a problem with that because those other women here, they had to get up every day early in the morning and go to whatever work that they were doing. But here's a woman staying in her home and, you know, she's, she's a very tall, dark woman. So in, in, in this world, people like that are not supposed to be living such a good life. So, other people in general, but particularly other women, when they would find out that this is what her husband had provided for her and her children, they did not like that. They were upset to know that they were struggling so hard, but she had such a good life. They wanted her life. That's what she would tell me many times. And... Because she is, uh, physically the woman that she is, I can understand that because in her country and here, people that look like her are seen as lesser. I'm talking about anti-black racism and, um... I want to just go back to this point where I'm talking about the paragraphs that I wrote on each child, which the lawyer that I had asked me to do. It wasn't my idea. It was his idea. So I'll give you an example of the treatment from the the judge. So he brought up the paragraph I wrote about my son and our relationship so in that paragraph, I mentioned, you know, how loving the relationship is between me and my son. And um, I said in one part that, you know, my son, he emulates me. He's, he's very much like me. So the judge turned to me and said, well, because you've said that, I'm not, I was going to give you your son back. But because you have said that, I'm not going to give you your son. So that's just one little example of what was written in the affidavit that they, they, they turned it around, right? They turned it around. Uh, they turned a positive thing and tried to turn it around into a negative thing. So in other words, I'm a bad person. So because I said that, my son is like me. He's not giving me my son back. By the way, I hadn't seen my children from um, March, early April, until the the summer. I believe it was July, the month of July. I had no contact with them. I kept asking my lawyer, "Well, where are my children? What have they done with them? Are they even alive? You know, contextually in under the conditions which." They had uh, came and uh, abducted them from me. I call it an abduction because that's how I see it. You know, you come to my home, you don't even approach me. I'm the one paying the bills. I'm the one brought my wife there by the grace of God those are my five biological children you don't even approach me you just come and drive off with my children what would what would have been the 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 response had myself as a as a melanated person gone to the home of people of european descent and walked off or drove off with their children what would have been the response i don't think I would be having this conversation right now. I think we all know that. So anyway, we went on from there. uh, They told me at the courthouse that I can see my children in what they call supervised access. And I was given, um, the name of a place where I could see my children and, uh, Uh, that's where the, the court proceeded, proceeding finished for that time. There would be many more dates into the future, but that's where it stopped on that day. And um, I contacted the name of the place that the judge gave me to contact, because what I saw, this is all news to me because I'd never been involved in anything like that before this is a business, right The court is a business it's all about money, so they have ties to this place where they're sending me now because they're they they're they're going to get money money's going to change hands for me to see my children so you're you're telling me that you're going to exploit my children. These are my children. you don't have any grounds for me not to be with my children but so you're going to make up a story and then exploit my children I'm going the government or whoever is going to receive money for me to see my children because you have to have a staff there and pay people pay for the facility and all that that entails so another form of uh, slavery exploitation dehumanizing and um so I went to the place. Uh, they had an orientation. I went and spoke to the, the liaison person who meets with the families and, and instructs them on, on what goes on. And I went through that orientation: how it, you go into the place, you. you Oh, I should mention this because it's this a very important point. I don't want to forget this point. So they, they mentioned that at the court that I now have to abide in a restraining order. I cannot have contact with my wife. And um, that means I can't talk to her. I can't see her. I can't uh, contact her in any way. And I cannot see my children or communicate with them other than this access center. So I went to the uh, access center for the orientation, met with the liaison person, and she walked me through what this is going to entail. You go through this security procedure, they lock you in in an area, and uh, when you're in that secured area, they they bring your children into you, they have cameras everywhere, um, they have glass, they're on the other side of the glass, you can't see them, but they can see you because it's like they have you on their microscope interacting with your children, and um, that's that's what it is, right? It's an environment that they control, and they have rules and regulations, and you have to abide in them in order to see your children. So, I found out from my daughter when I saw them at this place, or actually before that, I found out the the woman that does the orientation, she told me, I didn't ask her for this information because I didn't know, she voluntarily told me this, that my oldest daughter, the one that's in university now, She's now uh, 19. She told the woman during the orientation that she doesn't want to come to a place like this with all this glass and being locked in and all these proceedings that they do. She doesn't want to come to a place like this in this environment to see her father because my children are, are shocked. Remember, these are children that have grown up in the country in a farm. They get up in the morning, they run outside, and that's how their day is. They just, like, free, free, free as the wind. They want something to eat. They come in the farmhouse. They eat what they want to eat. Their mother gives them, you know, healthy, nutritious food. They go back out. They they go on trips. They travel on the plane all over the place, go to other countries. And they're going to be locked into an environment like this in order to see their father? So that's what the woman told me. My oldest daughter said, no, she doesn't want this. So, anyway, we went on for a while. So they're there in this, uh, they bring the children, and I go I go there and I interact with my children as they watch and record. They're writing down things and uh, documenting. And uh, the people, they, you could see that it, they didn't have any respect. For the children or myself, the manner in which they they interacted with us, the manner in which they they talked to us and um, handled the situation. But I tolerated it. And um, so one day, this is like, a, we started in September and we went to the um, beginning of December, the first week in December. Of that year 2018 so the woman who does the uh, orientation, you know like I said she's a liaison person she meets with the families the parents and she meets with the children and uh, she had called me because there had been an incident where um
0: I'm sorry but let me interject I think the phone is a little too far. Maybe you can bring it closer to you. Okay, sure. Yeah, and put it on a flat surface because when it moves, it's a little static. If you can just be close to it. And, um, okay,
1: all right. Yes, yeah, sorry, sorry about that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so the, the woman had called me after this incident. So what the incident was is that uh, they she's saying to me that they check uh, from time to time on how the access The parental access with their children is going that's how she framed it or characterized it to me so during the, our conversation she said well uh, She was checking the notes and she said everything was great and then she got into this incident and she said that she's reading in the notes that uh child was choking in the access. So let me describe the access area. It's a huge room and I'm sitting there in a area of the access with my children and we play. We have toys there. There's toys available and um they the people that run the place, they're they're watching us. They have us under the microscope recording, they're writing and um we usually start the access time. It's like two hours we spend together. So we usually start by me uh, bringing food and feeding them, Bringing, bringing eggs from the farm, fresh eggs or whatever I can cook, and I bring it there and we have a table there, a dining table, and we sit down and eat. So she says that in the notes it's written that a child, my son, gets up from the table, and he's running around, and he's eating, and he's choking. And pretty much nobody's paying attention to him. So I confront her on that. I said, well, that's not credible because the whole time that I'm with the children, they're under my care and under my watchful eye. Right? But here you are, you're saying a child is choking in my presence, and pretty much I'm not noticing it, I'm not seeing it when the children are in front of me. They're in front of me. We, they're not the like they've gone to another area, they're in a room with me. So you're saying a child is choking. So, from my understanding as an adult, if a child is choking, there's going to be an audible sound you're going to hear that you're going to hear <coughs> or whatever the child's trying to clear its throat that's what choking means to me so people are going to hear that i'm going to hear that the child's siblings are going to hear that and they're going to they're going to bring that even if i you're saying i didn't see it or didn't hear it which doesn't make sense the children are going to see or hear it because i'm there with myself and five children so that that doesn't add up That doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. So I uh, called them out on that, and um, she didn't really want to address it, of course, because it doesn't make any sense. So I'm in that environment, and you have cameras everywhere. You have your staff watching us, have us under a microscope. So why didn't the staff say something at that time? I'm just trying to be logical here. I hope it, this is this is making sense to the listeners. If a child is choking, why didn't the staff intervene? Why didn't the staff come in and, and say the child is choking? Why didn't they call somebody? If a child is choking, that's an emergency. Why don't you come and call... Uh, a doctor or one of the staff to perform a Heimlich maneuver do something say something nothing was said nothing was done according to my knowledge nobody said anything it just comes out in in a, in a conversation because they see it mentioned in the notes no that doesn't add up it doesn't make any sense so anyway we go back to the next um child uh access and um, I'm there with the children again so when we begin the the access time I say to the children they're, they're fabricating things about you in the notes, they're fabricating things about us so I need you to be aware of this, they're saying that you're coming here, you're running around, you're jumping around and that you're choking so the children because they're so sensitive to anything intervening between them and seeing their father, even in this environment, they jumped up and they're looking at the people that they can see, that run the place, and they start shouting that we're not choking here, we're not choking here, and they're saying this in unison, because they're so upset that, that people would, would write this, this kind of falsehood about us, about them, And uh, when the staff saw how upset the children are, they ran out of the room because I guess they perceived that the the children were a threat to them because the way that the the children reacted when they heard what was being uh, documented about them and about our time together. So um, the the access finished, and I, I got a call. And, uh, they said that, uh, uh, I guess they were upset. They were concerned because they didn't feel comfortable with the fact that the children called them out on the the false allegations. And so the way it went, um, they used that or the the court, the, the lawyer of my wife and, uh, the people that she's associated with, they use that to stop the access. Because the way this was going is that this is about breaking up the relationship between me and my children. And my children saw that. These are very, very intelligent children. They picked up on this right away. So, um, I then decided to tried to continue the access, and I met with the people at the access center, and they pretty much told me that the access wasn't going to continue. I later found out that uh, the people with the court, especially the lawyers, they have, they are on the board of this access center. So it's just total corruption, right? It's, it's all, it's how the system works, it's systemic, corruption and, and racism, And uh, me and my family are the victim of that. And so there was uh, a long time after this happened and they they stopped me from seeing my children. They wouldn't let me speak to them. They wouldn't let me um, see them. They they just cut us off. And um, after like a period of... uh, I guess it was around two years, um, I was able to see my children finally again because I had to fight, keep going back to the court, fighting and fighting in the court proceedings, writing my documents and submitting them. And uh, I found somebody who had an access center who was willing to help me to do the access at their farm, and um I was reunited with my children there in a in a much more friendly setting of of this family's farm and um one of the first things uh one of my children told me during that two years that I didn't see them or have contact with them. She blurted out that um, they, the, the people that talk to the children, the, the, they have what is called a children's lawyer, and uh, other people that the children, um, I guess, have contact with. I guess my wife and maybe other people that I don't know told the children that their father doesn't care about them so you can see this these are children when she was saying that that are in totally a, a situation where they're totally shocked and disoriented because it's like you take a, a fish out of water they they're they're thrashing about they don't know what this is they're trying to understand what this is they're grabbing at things that they're hearing and you know they trust me because that's that's the person that has always raised them. I brought my when my wife delivered the children, I was there to catch the children cut cut the cord the um, biblical cord and you know welcome them in the world and spend as much time as I could with them and then they without their father so um they started to just hold me and just, they could see that I I was suffering, but they, that child wanted me to know that even though that she knew that because she said that there would be um, a negative response to her because she was telling me what had been going on when I wasn't there to guard and protect them and Take care of them. They 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 were saying things about me that obviously weren't true, and this is a reoccurring theme throughout this because they're trying to break the bond between me and my children. Because when you when you homeschool a child, when you I had taken retirement, early retirement to be with these children twenty four hours. So these are children that are in a different world that are always under loving care of their parents and then you take them and throw them out there in, in in the world and all that entails you know people can come to them freely and call them names especially they, they're in that school system that racist school system the teachers are doing things to them you know all the treatment that they receive this is very difficult for a child and so they're trying to hold on to me, and um, I'm trying to hold on to them as, as the system is trying to break us apart. So this battle is continuing on, I've gone back to the court many times, so one of the things that they did is on one occasion, I uh, had gone to the court with a friend and um, the, the the court proceeding is going on, and I tell the judge that I want my children back. I want my children. And um, I told the judge straight. I spoke straight words to the judge. I told the judge, this is a child abduction. This is what this is. The police and this teacher, I called her by name, they came to my farm and they abducted my children. So the judge responded, she she didn't say, well, sir, you know, you've made a mistake, you're confused, you're lying, you you don't know what you're talking about. No, that's not what she said. She said, because you've said it out now, they're going to retaliate against you, meaning the police, the the. the the other side in this conflict is going to retaliate. The people that I've I've called out, they're going to retaliate. And um, I uh, left the court and lo and behold, it was like less than two weeks. I was at the uh, farmhouse one day and the police show up there and they're outside in their car and they're on their, uh, megaphone, they're shouting, because it's very loud, and it's calling my name, and telling me to come out, and, uh, I call a friend, and I say, like, they're, they're out there, and they're talking on their, uh, their megaphone, and, um, they're telling me to come out, so I said, I'm gonna go out there, and see what this is about, so I go outside, and, um, Remember, this is like over two years after the uh, situation had occurred where they took away my family. Nobody had ever come to me and questioned me at any time. Um, I didn't see anybody. No police came or said anything, nothing. The court didn't say that they're charging me or anything like that. So I'm there. And uh, I go outside to see what is going on. And they say, well, we're here to arrest you. And I say to them, arrest me for what? Do you have some grounds to arrest me on? So the following what they said, that let me know this was completely bogus, right? So they start to say, well you have to come with us now and if you don't come with us now we're gonna bring the swat and we're gonna kick down your door and we're gonna take you so when they were saying this uh a man and uh, his wife that lived up the road on another farm had been driving by i told him some of what had happened so he was concerned about me, so they were driving by and they saw the police parked in front of the place and me there talking with them. So they pulled over and then they walked up and said, what's going on here? What's the problem? So they witnessed what the police said. So they they, they said they are very concerned and the police said, oh, well, we're not going to keep him. We're just going to take him to the station and you can pick him up in a little while. So. I decided I wasn't going to make any problems. I was just going to go and let them do what they, they have to do. So I went to the station. I got in the cruise. I went to the station. They took me to the station. And uh, they take me into the holding area, and there's like at least eight, maybe ten police, and this burly woman comes out and starts shouting orders at me I must take off my clothes I can only keep on um, one pants and one shirt because it was in the winter it was actually February the coldest time of the year here and um, I had layers of clothing on because you know I live in the farm I'm going in and out and I dress with layers to keep myself warm so she told me I could only keep on one shirt and one pants. So I'd have to take off everything else. So I stripped down. They let me have the one shirt and one pants. And uh, as she's uh, on having me uh, strip down, she asked me, do you have any health issues? I said, yes. I was just uh, a few months ago because in November, remember this is in February, so the previous November, I had been in a parade because it was Remembrance Day. It was actually this time of the year, and I had a heart attack. I had a heart episode, and um, they rushed me to the hospital. And so I was still under care, and um, I let them know straight. So they disregarded that because, you know, the way I understand it now, when they arrest you, they're responsible for your care. So I made them very aware of what had uh, taken place with my having that heart problem. So they ignored that and put me in a cold cell, no bed, no blanket. And uh, I laid on cold concrete. I don't know if you have ever experienced concrete, how cold it gets. When it's very cold, it's like you're outside and you're laying on the ground, because there's no heat in the cell, and I laid there for hours, and they left me there until I'm uh, feeling the pain again of, of some sort of heart attack or episode coming on, so I call out to them that I feel like I'm having a heart attack, so they um, proceed to... Uh, get me out of the cell Because they were very concerned because a short time before another young man uh, From Jamaica who they had arrested. It's actually on 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 the internet. You can see the video He had some issue where he had been um, In an argument with his his significant other his girlfriend whatever and From what I was told, it was regarding a phone and the police found him and they started tasing him. And uh, after the the video ended, it came out that he had died. He was not seen alive again after that. And then when there was an investigation by the independent um, police uh, investigators, they said that they had taken him to jail. The same jail where I was, and uh, they told him to undress, and he reached into his uh, his rectum and p- pulled out fentanyl and swallowed it. That was the, the story the police gave, and he he died. But he had never been seen alive after they had they had tased him on that video, and. Um, that was the same place that they were holding me. So I guess they were very concerned now that another, um, male, uh, who had been born in Jamaica was going to die now. So they rushed the 911 call through and they came in and they put me on the gurney and, uh, they were pumping all these drugs into me, like, like huge amounts of, uh, pharmaceuticals to try to save me. And then they said, uh, we have to get him to the hospital, so they, they put me in the ambulance. They chained me up in the ambulance. Here's the person having a heart attack, and you're chaining him up in the ambulance. <laughs> anyway, and uh, they drove me to the emergency, and they... Can you hear me okay? Something just happened there. Like... Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that, brother.
0: I had um, opened up a screen. I forgot to cut the volume down on that one, but you're good. You're good.
1: Okay, Thank okay. You. All right. So they took me to the hospital and I was there for uh, some days in the hospital so i i had to go before a judge but they had to stabilize me you know make sure that i was physically able to go before a judge so they held me there till i was able physically able to do that they were running all kinds of tests on me they kept looking for any kind of drugs in my system because now they're trying to come up with something to justify what they've done. They've put my life at risk. So now, this, what has this person done? Because you still haven't come up with a charge. You don't have any evidence to say this person, myself, has has done something. So they they're, they're building a charge now. They're, they're looking for drugs in my system. I don't I don't take drugs of any kind even uh, prescription drugs. I don't take drugs. And um, they can't find anything. I had injuries. I have metal in my body. They were shocked to see the extent of my injuries. And I was, I'd was i lost a lot of weight. And they realized that they, they didn't have anything. As, as hard as they looked, they couldn't find anything to justify what they did. But... They still continue to try to build up something, because they had to try to save face. So I'm looking at the situation now, and now that we've gone to where we've gone, I'm sure they're looking at that I'm going to come after them in the court setting and hold them responsible for what they've done. But anyway, continuing on, you know, at the, at the, the hospital and all this, so... I, I did spend one night, because I, I, I believe I had gone from the hospital when they released me, to they took me to, um, to go before a judge, and they said that um, I need to come back the following day. So they weren't going to release me, they, they took me to one of these, uh, these high security prisons, that is a private operation. And uh, I was told that they make thousands of dollars for you just staying in there just for one night. So that's the incentive, right, of course, to put you in there, criminalize you, right? And so I managed to get through that uh, one night that I spent there. And uh, in the morning, they drove me. To the, uh, to the courthouse and um, my surety came and uh, the prosecutor came at the bail wash, the bail hearing and he brought a big stack of papers. So what these papers are, are postings by myself on social media. So they went and brought all these things and he starts reading it out in the courtroom to the judge and everybody else that's present. So, My, my assurity, the person that came to bail me out was, um, put on the, the witness stand and, um, they questioned her and, um, after the prosecutor had read some of the things that they brought as evidence against me, um, they asked her, well, how do you feel about what you heard, what he's writing there and putting on the social media? She turned to them and said, well, what he's saying there is nothing new. It's nothing out of the norm. These are conversations that go on amongst us in our community. This is what we talk about, about our history, who we are as a people, how the system treats us, these things. There's nothing there that's abnormal or strange or threatening or anything like that, and there wasn't anything there. So she went on to say that the reason they did this is because of what happened in the court proceedings where the judge had said that they were going to retaliate because I called out the perpetrators of these crimes against me and my family. And she even, the lady who, who was my surety she even had it, pulled it up on her phone, the documents, and she started to read it in the courthouse. So the woman judge got the prosecutor to back down, got him to back down, because he, he, was, he was trying to intimidate this lady that was testifying on my behalf. So the woman judge got him to back down, because, and then they realized they didn't have anything to hold me on. So after they, they finished our proceeding, because they still hadn't said what they arrested me for. So I made a point after the, the proceeding finished. I said, I need to see what grounds they arrested me on. Do you have something that you can show me? Because nobody said, nobody's explained why you came to my home and arrested me. So the, one of the lawyers goes away and then he speaks to somebody and they come back with a piece of paper. So on the paper, it's saying that um, uh, I wrote these things and uh, sent it to my wife on the Internet. And so that's in breach of the restraining order. So, of course, I never contacted my wife. That's, again, another fabrication, another falsehood. And um, they had no evidence of that, but they, they had to come up with something. And so, anyway, I was released, and as soon as I was released i uh the people that I was staying with they they went through my phones and we looked and looked and another lawyer said, "Well, contact the cyber crimes unit and I contacted them, and I said, "They're saying that I wrote this. Can you investigate and find uh any evidence of me ever sending anything like this in the internet?" They found nothing and uh because it never happened, they fabricated all of this, and uh, it's like re- police retaliation, right? When you call them out, so they they, as the judge had said. So, anyway, I uh, stayed with my surety, and uh, I continued to fight the legal matter, so what happened as I went forward, they threw out every fabrication that they had uh, brought against me. They threw it all out because they couldn't go forward. They look ridiculous. You don't have any grounds to do this. You can't go forward. So they threw out everything uh, that uh, they fabricated against me in the criminal case. So when this happens now, I have to go back now again to the family court to continue fighting in there because you you win in the, in, the, in the criminal court, but if it's a family case, you have to go back to the family court and then continue to fight there. That's how the system is set up. And so I continue to fight there, and then they threw out everything there, but they still – they still, they, they won't let this thing rest because they know they're responsible for what they did. They know that they're responsible, right? And uh, they don't like to be shown as the criminals that they are. The system will not admit to its criminality. They will try everything to try to not be held accountable. But I believe that... They need to be held accountable. And so this is why I've decided to tell my story. I am seeing my children. I had the restraining order removed between me and my children. They come and they stay with me because one of the things that they they said that I'm going to kill my children, these are the children that I brought into this world and did my utmost to make sure they had the best care. You know, if you're saying that this is a man that's going to kill his children, he's uh, some extremist or something, you look ridiculous. This man is, you know, basically like a joint custody. The children are staying with their mother and staying with him. They stay here in my home with me. There's nothing like that. And this has gone on. I'm seeing them steadily for quite some time, for a couple of years. There's no incidents or anything. So they look ridiculous. They look ridiculous, and they don't like to be ridiculous. They don't like to be held accountable or shown for who they are. So that's where we are now. They're trying to – one of the things that they've tried to do – I mean, there's a lot of things that I'm skipping over, but maybe at the right time we can go in depth, and I can – I have the documents. I can prove what I'm saying.
0: They're in, filed into the court because they went so far. They Went so far to destroy me that
1: they, they dug a hole for themselves that they can't get out of and they, 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 they're concerned about my retaliation against them or me holding them accountable. It's not that I'm retaliating is because I want to hold them accountable, so they don't do this to other people. So that's where we are right now. But as I said, it's an ongoing situation because they have drained me uh, physically and uh, mentally, and I'm I'm just trying to continue seeing my children they want to take my my children out of the country right because that way the 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 children can't tell their side of their relationship with their father and and they will hold the mother accountable but i have to be sensitive to how i proceed with my family because that's at the end of the day that's still my family that i love and care all that i've gone through that's still my family that's my beloved and I have to always think about what is in their best interest. So that's where we are right now in a nutshell. And um, I think I'm going to I'm gonna pause it or put a pin in it right now because I have to go to a remembrance ceremony. So I can't really go much further at this point. But I, I thank you for uh, setting this up because this is this is a this is a great thing that you're doing my brother, and I'm really honored by you and um i thank you i thank you from the depth thank of
0: you. your heart i thank,
1: thank you. you for being one the brothers and sisters to have this this forum this platform this outlet to 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 make this story known and um I wish I could um Tell you more in detail and I believe in time it's the details are gonna come out even more. But I need help. I need help to do justice. Yes. Because, you know, dealing with that uh, a system that is the most horrific system that has ever existed in the annals of history in its treatment of our people. We're dealing with a system that has been going on for thousands of years that has robbed us in every way possible most importantly they have robbed us of our being of our mind of our soul and we have to reclaim that not just the physical things the gold the the uranium the 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 riches the history but we have to reclaim our very being and that's what time it is i believe that because here we are and we're having this conversation So thank you once again, my brother.
0: It's always a pleasure and honor, my brother, anytime. And when you can talk more, definitely come back. I know that there are some legalities that you can't speak on right now, but we understand that, brother. And thanks for making us aware of what happens a lot and what could happen to any one of us, for you being brave to come out and speak because you're a true revolutionary and a warrior. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, Brother Lance. Thank you. And thank you for everybody who
1: has listened. And hopefully um, the creator guided me. Even though I couldn't get into all the fine details, I tried to cover some main points. So hopefully they got a good overview of right. what taken place Up until this point, because the situation, as you say, brother, is still ongoing. So, yeah. So we're going to conclude, and um, I look forward to speaking with you soon, brother.
0: I'm always here, brother. Give me a call.
1: Yes, most definitely. I do need help because it's not. I don't believe this is just about my family. It's about all of us. It's about all of us. I know that. I could not be standing here and explaining myself what has taken place if it was not for the creator and the ancestors holding me up. Exactly. There's no way. This is not about me. I could not have gone through what they have put me through. Could have not endured this. So it's a much bigger picture to this. I believe the time is right for our awakening as a people. So I'm going to conclude it right there, my
0: brother. Okay, thank you, brother. Thank you. And if if anybody wants to get in contact with our brother, just reach out to me. Um, In the future, brother, if you want to have direct contact, I can always add an email address that you create, create a different one. There's secure ways of doing it where nobody can trace certain things. I can tell you about that. Um, Or I can always forward any message to you so you can remain anonymous and not get any hacking or any, any harassment that way so okay. um, for everyone who's listening now and in the future listen. Uh, leave a comment speak your mind if you have something that's happened to you on a similar level come with it let's talk about it as much as you can and um, just speak to our brother here like we're leaving names and everything out of it because there's a lot of legalities but he's very much a real person more than you know so, thank have a you, wonderful brother. Thank you, and um, he'll be back if you want to talk a little more or, or on any other subject that you've experienced in different things. Because you've done a lot in this lifetime. Trust me, I have to respect you as a father and a family man, as a Black African man. Because they're always tearing down the imagery of us, and for you to be that and, and be concerned with the welfare of your family, getting off the grid, growing your own food. Taking the early retirement to be there with the children, we need to follow this example. I just have to commend you on that. Thank you. Because we have people out here tearing down black men and saying they're no good. Well, here's a good one for you. You're going to have to change your narrative. Narrative if you think something negative. For that, I thank you more, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Peace, brother. All right. Take care, my brother. Thank you. All right.